realized by the end of this sermon that the song they just sang was a perfect lead-in to everything we're going to talk about today. Uh, good morning. My name is Wes. I am uh, subbing in for our pastor while he's gone right now. Uh, we're going through the letter of Second Timothy, a, a fairly short letter written by one older apostle to a newer upcoming member and a leader in the new church. It is a... Uh, phenomenal letter. It was written, uh, the last letter that Paul wrote, it was written in about 66 AD. It was written from a prison. Paul was actually in chains. It was not a, a house arrest. It was not a pleasant place to be. And the theme, the overall theme is that Paul is passing on leadership to a younger man. He's passing on what he knows to a younger man. And so the idea, the image <clears throat> that I I'm a visual guy. What can I say? I like images to help me understand things. But the idea of a baton being passed on, whether the baton is knowledge, experience, leadership, the word, it's the older man passing on to the younger man. And we get to kind of watch this and learn from it because it applies to us in a lot of different ways also. Uh, The overall theme of the book of 2 Timothy, the letter, is preach the word. That's the the end result. That's the most important part is preach the word. All of us need to be ready to preach the word. And the subheading um, or the little theme for just today's passage is to be ready, to be ready, the readiness. And that goes obviously very well together. Although if you're taking notes, you'll see there's readiness and leadership and that's all in there. But really, as we were praying this morning, I just reflected on what this whole sermon is. It's kind of a love letter to the word of God. You're going to hear that over and over again when Paul is talking to Timothy, the importance of the Word of God, how lucky and how blessed we are to have the Word with us. And uh, if you don't hear that, you can kick me in the side of the head afterwards because the Word is important. Um, The way we're going through this is uh, there's a lot of ways to attack a, a passage in doing a sermon series, but we only have so much time. In this case, I have six weeks to go through a, a, a letter, which there's a lot in there. Uh, I kind of like the, a little bit of a survey, a little bit of a skim the top, hit the high points, and then dig into one verse and get some good out of the one verse and mine that just a little bit. So a couple of weeks ago, we started about passing it on and kind of the introduction to the verse. Then we talked about passing on suffering, where Paul is passing on the privilege of being able to suffer with one another. Last week, we talked about Paul passing on wisdom and how uh, Paul really wants Timothy's testimony uh, to be pure and clean. And then this week, we're going to talk about readiness. Paul, in this little section of chapter 3, wants Timothy to be ready, ready to preach, ready to lead. Next week, we'll talk about the calling, and then uh, in two weeks, we'll wrap it all up together. And that'll be that. If God gives us our days, it'll be a great thing to be able to go through this book. Um, Last week, we talked about, kind of as a review, uh, the Awana line. The approved workmen are not ashamed. That's how they got Awana. We talked about the idea of the coin. Uh, The coin makers had to be very specific, very well-entrusted people because they were literally creating the money, um, and they were approved. And the important part of being approved was a a great phrase in making sure you get the approval from the father, not the approval of the crowd, not the approval of your boss. I mean, what's important is the approval of God the Father and that uh, being authentic and full of integrity. And speaking of approved laborers, it's always fun when you can find examples for things uh, of people that we know. Here's a picture of the church. 
Most of you are in there. Some of you are very small. In fact, all of you are very small. But I want to just talk about one laborer, one approved working person in there. She's right there. You may not know this, uh, but Barb Reddig is our church secretary. I assume you knew that part of it. Uh, but Barb, I won't make you come up front, but yeah, Barb's very thankful for that. Barb passed her 15th anniversary with us in the church. And Barb manages the church office in a way that uh, you just you have no idea how smooth and how professional she is. It's Every calendar, every bulletin, Gary's schedule, all of the records of the church, you ask her for something, she gives it to you instantly. And she keeps Gary on track. Now, out of all those jobs, one of those is probably more difficult than the others. But we just wanted to say on behalf of the elders, Barb, we so appreciate you, and we so love that you're still here with us, working and keeping that office smooth, and we wanted to just say thank you. An approved workman, right there in our midst. Uh, let's go and take a look at some things. I don't know if you've ever been in a flood. I've been near floods, and I've been near raging rivers, and we've had some troubles sometimes when Sagebrush Flats gets a little uh, full coming down the dry creek. Uh, but I've never been in a flood where my home was threatened by a flood, which, living in the desert, not a high probability of that. Um, but think about that. Think about what it would be like. I mean, there are people that deal with this twice a year. Every fall when the storms come and every spring when it melts off, that their home is literally threatened uh, by a flood and floodwaters rising higher and higher and the, the helplessness that you might feel. Think about what you would do in that situation. If you were that man on the roof, what would you do? What would you be ready to do? Where would you put your trust, where would you, how would you respond to that? Think about that. We'll come back to this idea. First, let's talk about passing on. Let's get back to Second Timothy a little bit. We'll leave the flood hanging out there just a little bit. The passage we're looking at in chapter 3 has kind of a, an overall question that has to be answered. The question is, what's Paul's goal? What is, in this section of chapter 3, what is Paul trying to do? And what he's trying to do is make sure Timothy is ready. And it's ready to preach, it's ready to do all the things Paul's talked about, but the, it's to make sure Paul's ready. And, and we want to make sure that as we go through this passage, we answer that question, that Paul's goal, make sure Timothy's ready. How is he doing that? The key verse is this one, which is real similar to the Awana verse. Uh, this is uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that, uh, Father, we can study your word this morning. We thank you for the freedom we have, for the people that have gone before us in this nation to give us a country where we can openly study and have your word with us. We thank you, Father, for the men and women that went before us at Grace Point that established your church here, that you have empowered, and the people that you have used to train us, to teach us, to inspire us, to uh, literally bring us into your faith, Father. We are grateful, and we truly stand upon the shoulder and the benefit of the giants that went before us here. Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would teach each one of us from your Word today, that any errors in my preparation would be corrected by your Spirit, and that all of us 
would leave here with uh, the ability to use your word, uh, that would turn our hearts just to be a little bit more like your son today and a little bit more like your son tomorrow. We thank you for this time, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, uh, great, great verse. A lot in there. The Word's uh, got a lot of stuff you can do with the Word. A lot of good things with that. Uh, let's talk about what this passage, not just this verse, but the whole passage uh, in chapter 3 says, passing it on. What it says is that this is very much a letter from an older man to a, a, a younger man, a little bit like a father to a son or a daughter. Oh, I can relate to that part. Uh, things you want to pass on to your kids. You want to give them a good example. You want to warn them about stupid things they could do or stupid people that might harm them. And you want to encourage them. So that's pretty much standard dad stuff and mom stuff right there. Good example. Look out for this. But hey, you know, encourage you to keep going. Um, talk about each one of these a little bit. First of all, the example. Verses 10 and 11, chapter 3. Paul talks about the things that he has done, he has witnessed, and that Timothy has been a part of. And that these are great examples to you. Live by examples. And what, I've said this a hundred times, greatest writer of all time in in my mind in the human history is Paul. Uh, Greatest leader, setting aside Jesus Christ on earth, is Paul. Because he leads by example and how important examples are. Now, I was a teacher and I was a coach for a long time. And I'm no expert on children, although I'm not bad. I'm a pretty good expert on one child. And, uh, (laughs) you know, these are the risks you run with having your your children with you when you're preaching. But then she runs some risks, too. You know, I've got control of all kinds of photographs I could put up. Uh, Let me show you this, though, as an example. Uh, Vanjie and I were at the Waterville Fair the other night. And uh, we were watching horsing things, go figure. We're kind of a horsing family. Uh, one of us rides, one of us can ride, and one of us is an expert at slinging manure. <laughs> but um, I digress slightly. Let me show a picture of a horse rider. This is not me, okay? I would never be caught dead on, you know, whatever, wearing sunglasses while riding. Anyways, that's, the guy goes to the same barber I go to, but the guy riding a horse, right? Notice anything? The guy riding a horse. Now, the first thing my wife notices is something that's missing, let me show you a picture of Vanjie, because I like to brag on my wife. This is Vanjie at Kalispell uh, competing on Robert the Bruce. That's our son. He's a good-looking boy. Um, besides the vest and the armor stuff, so if you fall, if you look at these two pictures, what's missing? Helmet. My wife will not get on a horse, even a pony, even a pretend one, even a little stick horse, unless she has a helmet on. Because if you fall from a horse, you're falling from about 8 to 10 feet. Right? And the number one reason riders get hurt, riders get paralyzed, riders get killed, is they don't have a helmet on. So we're in Waterville. You're probably wondering where that came back. So we're at the Waterville Fair. We're kind of watching there's kids riding and stuff. And there's these moms talking. And one of the moms is complaining that her kid never wears the helmet. I tell them all the time never wear the helmet. We wander off. We come back. There's more people riding. The mom is in the ring. The mom is on a horse. Guess what? She's not wearing a helmet. If you want your kids to do something, you've got to do it. Okay, the example that you set, even if they roll their eyes, which they frequently will, even at that, the example you're setting is important. And the example we set, whether you're a boss and you've got coworkers, whether it's in your family, whether it's between you and the wife, 
If you want people to behave, to do, to follow, to learn from your example, you need to provide a positive example because you're always providing an example. We're always providing an example. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we're providing an example. And so helmets... Vanjie's really great about it. I, I can say that in all honesty. I've never seen her get on a horse without wearing a helmet. And that's a small thing, but it can be big things too. Anything. Paul points out wearing a helmet. Well, excuse me. Paul points out all the ways that Paul has been an example and reminds Timothy of that. It reminds how Timothy's been an example. So Paul's remembering that. You're an, Paul's providing the example. Examples are important for us. Second thing. Uh, Paul points out some warnings. Verses 12 and 13, good parenting, good leadership, points out the warnings. Hey, there's three main things you need to look out for, Timothy. One, you're going to suffer. Always a a happy message, but it's a good one. Don't expect roses and an easy path. You will suffer. Secondly, there's going to be imposters. The gospel is going to be perverted by people. There will be people that will take the word and twist it and give a half-truth and try to use it for their own purposes. And society is not oriented towards God. Anything on this world will inevitably fall away from God. Those are three things we should never be surprised by as Christians, that we're going to suffer, that the gospel, people are going to be out there trying to pervert it and take us away from Jesus Christ, and that things are going to get worse before we get to heaven. That's normal. That's expected. People on TV, they like to get worked up about this stuff, like it's something new that, wow, society isn't godlike. You know, they, try, they make money off of us by getting us excited by that. We should be calm. We should be like, you guys all seen Casablanca? I know you have. 1942 movie, Humphrey Bogart, Casablanca, greatest film ever made. I, you're all smart, good-looking people, so I know you've all seen it. You all agree with me that it was the greatest film but Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca, he runs this bar, Rick's Cafe, if you haven't. I know you've seen it, but I'll just remind you in case you haven't. Uh, he gets dumped by his girlfriend. He's in Paris when the Nazis take over. The Nazis come into his bar. There's all this chaos going on. Humphrey Bogart, he's just cool. Doesn't throw him off his game. He's still all the bad things going on around him, all the chaos. He's this super cool, pretty confident, good guy. We should be like Humphrey Bogart as Christians. Yes, the world's going to be crazy. Yes, politics are a mess. Yes, people are scheming and yelling, and there's preachers on TV that are preaching terrible things, and there's a war on this, and there's a war on that, and all the chaos. We should just be like Humphrey Bogart. Maybe not without you know, the smoking thing so much, but um, just be cool. Be calm. You expect it. This is not a big deal. Humphrey Bogart, nothing ruffled him. It's a great example for us. Now, He's fictional, the character. But Paul would understand this. Paul would say, yeah. I mean, Paul could have used Humphrey Bogart as a good example of, don't be, you know, I'm warning you, but be cool about it. It's okay. It'll be okay. Things will be all right. The Word of God is more powerful than society. So let's go back. Encouragement. Uh, The last bit, which is a great thing, Paul passing on uh, the encouragement, and that's the rest of the letter is to be encouraged And the reminder is to kind of take a look at this, our key verse, verses 16 and 17. Scripture is inspired by God. And it's practical. This is a very similar passage at the end of uh, chapter 13 of Hebrews. Um, 
the effectiveness, the importance of the word, how practical the word can be. Because the word is not of man. The word's from God. Men wrote it, and there, we'll talk about that just a, a little bit. But it's to make us ready. It's to make us more like Jesus Christ. It's to improve us. It's good for us, and it makes us useful for God. And so to take a look at this, even though we're, we're going through this verse and we're talking about Paul, we're also talking about how blessed we are to have the Word of God, how incredibly useful the Word of God is to us, and how it's something we have in our hand that we can touch and read and study that's from God. That, especially to, uh, to non-believers, they don't, have this, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the sense of where God is in their life, and they can't touch the, the emotional, the, how we feel about it. But we have God's Word that we can share. That's a pretty big thing. So let's take a look at this. Like a father preparing a child. Three words we want to take a real close look at. Inspired, kind of describing the Word of God. Profitable, and then adequate. And we'll go in that exact order. So let's talk with inspired. Some good stuff here. Inspired shows up a lot in the Bible. But it's all, the word specifically that Paul used is used one time. And what it means is God, it's a compound word. God plus breath. The word is inspired. Inspired is describing what the word is. The word is God-breathed. Now, it's written by a human. A human is actually describing it. God did not, like, zap lightning onto the page for the word. The Holy Spirit influenced, in this case, Paul. And Paul wrote it. It wasn't like a dictation where God was speaking to Paul and Paul just wrote down what he's being told. Paul's in that letter, and that's the... The mystery, the, the wonderment of the Word of God is that there is man involved. Man's not the important part, but Paul, the, the human, is being used by the Spirit of God, and it's them together that creates this Word. It's not, um, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like the Word of God. And that one way to look at it is a sailing ship. It's God-breathed. The ship does not move unless the wind blows. And the wind has no impact on anything until it hits the sail. We're like that. It, it, the word has been breathed the way that the wind pushes a ship. That's us. That's how the word is put down as it's breathed into being. Uh, it's a pretty amazing thing. In context, when there's a science of interpretation, you've heard that from us many times, part of our core beliefs and you can read about it a um, little bit on the back of your notes today, actually. Um, but conservative churches believe that there are rules of interpretation. There's grammar. There's the history. There's how the words were defined by the author of the words. And if you follow those, the, the rules of interpretation correctly, you come up with one. There's only one interpretation. And in context, that one interpretation is perfect. It is infallible. The word does not contradict itself. The word does not have error. Does that mean that there's not a the where it shouldn't have been or that there's different versions where people wrote it down, didn't copy it right? That can happen. But the meaning, the content, the understanding, what the word is saying is infallible. It's a core belief of this church that the word is perfect and without error. Now, some people reject that. Some people reject the Bible, but it's been said that uh, people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. 
people reject the Bible because it contradicts them. The Bible's tough. You can't argue. You can try. You can wave your hand and ignore things, but you can't argue with what it says. Uh, the Bible is more powerful than any of we are. Uh, preacher A.T. Robinson once made a joke, sort of a joke, says the greatest proof that the Bible has, is inspired by God is that it has withstood so much bad preaching. Okay, people have tried to twist the Bible to justify every horror known to man, and yet we still have the Word. We still have the Word and can look things up and get back to the original, what was meant, and that's an incredible thing. Nothing else like that. Nothing else like that you're ever going to run into. God breathed truth. It's revealed to us by God through men. It's relevant because God is the same today as he was when he was speaking through Paul. And it is real because it's guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the truth of our God, and by the Holy Spirit working within us that reveals that truth into our heart. It's profitable. Very simple word. Useful. Beneficial. Used many times. The word profitable comes up a lot in the Bible. Uh, It's useful for God and it's useful for you. It's good for you and makes you good for God. Profitable. Very simple. Pretty straightforward. Um, You might think of this the same way that food. Food is good for you and lets you do good things. Right? Uh, Training to do a specific thing is good for you to learn something but you can also do something good with it. Training for how to drive a car, you can go drive the car. It's good for you, but it has a useful purpose for other things. Very simple word. The Bible is profitable for you. The hard word, at least for me. So maybe I'm just sharing my own struggles. I've been working on this since uh, before July. It was late June. I started working on this. this is the, the, I've had more trouble with this word than anything else. Adequate. We're talking about the Bible, Right? That's adequate. It just doesn't ring right in English somehow. How'd you, had a great day at work today. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was adequate. Doesn't feel right. We're talking about something really specific. And depending on your translation of the Bible, sometimes um, your, your Bible might say perfected. It might say completed. And those are common English words that show up all over the Bible. And so that threw me off too. So I, I you know... I had to go to the experts out here, and uh, poor Gary was on vacation, had to give me some, some stuff and aim me some books. But what I want to try to convey to you is what is the biblical understanding of adequate. When he says that it will make you adequate for God, it means fitted, complete for an act. There's a, it's not complete and finished in the, the total final sense. When uh, Christ's last words on earth were, it is finished, that was a different word. That is a much, much bigger word, which we talked about during the holidays. This is more like it's fitted, finished for a specific thing, uh, like an action that you are suitable for a given function. And in the Bible, whenever this word adequate is used, is always in relation to the Word of God, and it's always um, for a specific time and place, not a big total sense of it. It's about a certain thing. To be adequate is for a specific function right now that God is calling you to. And coming up with examples for this were kind of hard. I mean, you can probably think of a lot like the car or training or something like that. 
But I tried to think of something that's huge and adequate both at the same time, something that is wondrous but routine. If you didn't know this about me, I'm kind of a space nerd. I grew up in the Apollo era. That, that, the, anything with the space and space shuttle is amazing to me. This, we don't fly these anymore, but we had five space shuttles at one time, and they're about the size of an airliner. If you ever get around one and get a chance to see one in a museum, it's remarkable. They're huge. And they would launch like a rocket, and they would go 250 miles or higher into space, orbit the Earth at 18,000 miles an hour. They'd be up there for a couple weeks. They'd put a few million miles on them every time they flew, and we flew them hundreds of times. Now, when they come down, it's a really crazy part, there's no fuel left. They used all their fuel to get up and get going so fast. It's a glider. It's a glider about the size of a good, you know, a wing of a school. It's a huge airplane. It's the world's largest glider, and this looks very aerodynamic, but really they're not. They're like a, they're described as a brick with little fins on it. And so these astronauts, they have the ability to use automated controls and computer it in, but they're astronauts. They don't use that. They're going to fly it manually. When they come down after 18,000 miles an hour, 250 miles in orbit, millions of miles traveling, they're going to land on a runway between here and here. Three feet is their target. They did that over 125 times, and they landed every time on a three-foot target, every time. It's wondrous, it's amazing, it's routine, it is adequate. So adequate is a deep word. It's e- don't get the English thinking of, ah, it's okay, it's adequate. It's a deep word, it's in- means you are useful, the word can train you and make you able to do a wondrous thing spiritually that is also completely normal, that you are fully prepared for. You are ready to be used. To be adequate is a deep, deep word. The space shuttle, those guys were adequate in the best sense of it, perfectly executed, completely routine, and completely miraculous, just like anything we do for God. So that's what the word says. That's what it means. And let's take a look at this just a little bit deeper for how, what do we do with this? Um, to be, have something profitable for us, to be made adequate, implies that something made you adequate. It wasn't you, it's the Father. You were trained by somebody else. Paul training Timothy is hoping that Timothy will be ready to be adequate, to be ready for some great thing. These three critical words, that the word is inspired, that the word is profitable for us, and that the word will make us adequate for a, a specific thing brings us back to the central question. What is Paul's goal? He wants Timothy to be ready, to be adequate for the tool, to be for whatever's needed. And when you get to the end of a passage, you, you ask, I do, so what? Okay, I read this, I read, I read my devotions in the morning. Great guy from Moody's writing this really nice devotion right now. So what? Am I just supposed to be smarter? I can memorize this verse? There's nothing wrong with memorizing verse. Being smart's good. Not sure what I always know what that's like, but it's a good thing. It's not for us to be smarter. It's for us to be put to action. It's for us to do something with it, to, uh, to use it. The word has one interpretation and millions upon millions of applications. 
What do we do? That's the application. God gives us his word. It comes into our heart. The Holy Spirit teaches us what it means. It goes way beyond what the, the words on the page are. But it's to be used, to be out there for God, doing something with it. Which brings me back to one of my favorite parables, the parable of the man and the flood. You may have heard this before. I apologize if that's the case. But there's a man in a flood. He uh, lives in town. He's got a house kind of by himself. And the weather report comes from the radio. Your town is going to flood. The flood waters are rising. It's time to get out. And the man thinks to himself, he says, no, I'm a religious man. I pray to God. God will save me. I'm not going to leave. And so the waters start to rise. They come into his yard, and they're flowing fast. A police officer drives by in a great big four-by. says, hey, you, you, you in the house. The town is flooding. you got to get out. Come on. The man shouts back to the police officer, no, I'm a religious man. I pray to God. God will save me. The officer has to keep moving, and the waters come up. Dinah Boat comes by, says, hey, you in the house. The town is flooding. Come on. The man says, no, I, I have faith. I'm a religious man. I am praying to God. God will save me. And the boat has to go, and the waters rise, and the guy has to climb up on his roof. And the waters are rising to the eaves, and they're coming up on the roof, and he's moving backwards on the roof, and a Coast Guard helicopter comes down. And the guy shouts from above, Hey, you, grab the hoist. You're going to die. And the man shouts back, No, I'm a religious man. I prayed to God. God will save me. And the waters take him. He dies. man appears in heaven, and he's mad. He is ticked off, and he demands an audience with God. He says, God... I'm a religious man. I prayed to you. Why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent you a weather report, a police officer, a boat, and a helicopter. What are you doing here? (laughs) The principle, there's a lot you can unpack with that, the difference between faith and religion, trusting in what you're doing rather than trusting in God, There's also a thing about sometimes as Christians, we feel like we don't take action until we get a sign. We're waiting for a sign from God to take action, to reach out to that person, waiting for the right time, uh, the right thing to say, the, the right verse, oh, I haven't memorized it. We wait. And all the time, the Lord may have been giving us signs. It just wasn't the sign we were wanting or it wasn't the sign we expected and we wait and we don't take action. And I tell you this maybe to encourage you, but it's for me. As I look, at, I'm, I'm that guy on the roof all the time. I, I, we put God in a box. I put God in a box. And I'm thinking the sign will be a certain way, and it's, it's not. If there's anything I've learned with the few years I've been here is that waiting is probably not the right answer. It is better to intervene, do it in a nice way, do it in the kindest way you can, but better not to wait because... This letter, the theme of this letter is preach the word. Gary Knox's motto, preach the word. He texts me in the morning to encourage me. You know what he says? Preach the word. He says that every time he texts me to encourage me. Preach the word. That is Gary's life motto. That, is the, that comes from 2 Timothy. Preach the word. All of us, not just Gary. We're all involved in preaching. Literally. Share the word of God with people. Don't wait 
or some sign. Figuratively, share the word of God through an example, through being kind, through reaching out. I had a great talk this morning. Um, Casey was telling me about trying to have things to be able to share with a homeless guy and just to reach out, even if you don't know what to say. You can say Jesus loves you, and he did. What a great example of not waiting for something to happen. Many churches are full of people like the man on the roof, waiting for something, waiting for a sign, or waiting for the sign that they selfishly want. I want to do ministry X, and I'm waiting for a sign so I can do that one ministry I want. Meanwhile, the church says, hey, we need ministries A through 12 right now, not ministry X. Nah, I'm going to wait. He's made you. He, God, if you're a believer, has made you adequate. He has sent you his holy, God-breathed word, the word that is good for you and profitable for you and for others. He's made you adequate for his actions. He has sent us his word, his pure, holy word. He has sent us his Holy Spirit so we can understand the word. And most of all, he has sent us his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.